it's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Oh my God. <laughs> you're, you're obsessed with that. You're actually obsessed with that thing. <laughs> you're done. It's the Champions League podcast. It's not a Europa League podcast. You want to switch this to Friday so we can do Europa League podcast. Would that make it feel better? Yes, please. <laughs> okay, here we go. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ring FC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am okay, thanks. I'm a bit croaky this morning. <clears throat> Don't know what's me, wrong. Me too, actually. Me too, I'm croaky. Getting old. All that talking. No, it could just be age. I think it's age. We are quite old now. I am old. I was talking to my friends in the WhatsApp group and they were like, oh, we're doing this exercise, that, that, that. And I was suddenly like, hang on a minute. I was doing that when I was their age, but I'm 41 now. Like at, at 35, I was sprinting around. But now at 41, I'm like... It's just over that hill where you have a, a top speed above third gear. You don't have it anymore. Even third gear, like second gear more like. Ah, uh, you've earned it though. Yeah, I guess I guess so. Got my place in the sun now. How many books have they put out this year? That's all I say. <laughs> okay, that, that's true. That's true. Yeah, listen, listen. Uh, uh. Yeah, you can lift, bro. But can you write, bro? <laughs> Actually, these ones, really, they really can. Oh, no. They, yeah, they really, really All right, can. in that case, you got the, yeah, I've got nothing for you. Sorry, mate. Yeah, yeah, get out better, there. Be- better writers than I am, actually. Yeah, better get out there. Oh, well. Anyway, on a brighter note, Champions League. Why do you always, you just skip the admin. The admin is there for a reason. It's, yeah, I know, but keep, I'm, hyping, I'm keep, hyping people. Yeah, but I'm hyping people. to keep structure. Yes, oh, but. God, but, you, but. Be, you, you couldn't play in any of these sides. Two vibes. Apart from Real Madrid, you could probably play for this Real Madrid. No, I, actually, could def- I could definitely play for Real, definitely. You'd probably be a... The front three, wide forward. Poch, Poch would have binned you off as soon as he got to PSG. <laughs> this guy's two vibes for me. Or maybe on the left wing. I don't need a pass first striker. 
That's true, actually. Everyone, everyone does. Not in that front three. No space for him. Listen, Ryan, this is not about me. This is bigger oh, than me. Oh, Let's Kwanga, Kwanga. has got PSG to West Ham on loan written all over him. As soon oh, as my God. Comes in. Oh, God. Listen, this is not about me. Let's do admin. Oh, it's not about you, is it? Really? <laughs> 159 <laughs> episodes and we've finally got the first admission that none of this has been about Musa. I see. <laughs> I see. <laughs> finally. Like, we got him, everyone. We got him. We got him. We got him. <laughs> um, admin, right? His house went up on Wednesday. You and Jeanette were on, and um, it was a really, really great episode. I thought there was quite, quite heavy opening section about Righty's new documentary that's coming out on the BBC called Home Truths mm. about his experience growing up with emotional, physical abuse, and talks to a lot of other people who went through the same thing. So, if you haven't checked that, go and check that. It's on the Ring RC feed. Uh, theringer.com forward slash soccer. There will be pieces going up. Maybe not quite this week, but m- maybe there'll be some going up next week. A Stadio Archer's playlist on Spotify. If you like the music that we play out on each episode, we put them all in a playlist. Do this one at the top. So search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. And yeah, if you do listen to us on an app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It'd be very kind. And yeah. Apart from that, just hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, getting vaccinated if you can. If I could get a vaccine, I would get one. I would definitely get a vaccine. However, yeah. it's uh, a bit of a slow roll out in Germany, so you and I stay in put, just staying inside as much as possible. Although I yeah, did venture right. outside yesterday, it was lovely. My my one weekly jaunt outside the hood. Yeah, and I was and planning to do that today and the weather's terrible. Oh yeah, the weather was beautiful yesterday, it was lovely. Yeah, I, think, terrible, yeah. I think I got a bit of a tan. I mean, I didn't, but I kind of did. You had an aspiration for a tan. That's all right. Existential tan. It was all a bit existential, the Champions League. Anyway, it was existential, the Champions League. It was. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to chat about. Thanks to everyone who's uh, emailed us. We've we've got a a big backlog of emails to get through. We we will be working through them very soon. Yep, yep. Apologies. Last few weeks has been a bit hectic. Is there any more admin, Musa? There's always something I forget. Uh, No. What to read? Check out. No. Stuff to listen to. No, we're good. Happens, no. happens good. All right, then. Well, today we're going to talk about the Champions League, mention a few other games and some happenings that happened this week because there's more Bundesliga manager mayhem. Rumblings, yeah, yeah. It's like a Bundesliga. Yeah, it's like a Bundesliga Royal Rumble. It is, actually. This is so much. Oh, my God. Nagelsmann is going to Bayern. Oh, my goodness. Oh my God. You can just imagine Jerry the King Lawler commentating on all the Bundesliga like merry-go-round. It'd be a bit amazing. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's even, I mean, I'm an old man, so I'd, re- I'd refer to musical chairs, but no one plays it anymore. The wireless radio. Oh my <laughs> goodness. I think, I think we should probably move on let's, let's yeah. get into the football <laughs> after this. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, 
car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, man. So I'd probably like to start with the biggest game of the week, which was quarter foot three, Sandhausen two. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew that. You know, I was just wondering which, I was like, which game will he pick? I knew what I knew. I, w- I knew it wouldn't be championship. I knew you'd go there. On a serious note, this game was absolute chaos, absolute chaos, and had everyone's like, really, but this had massive impl- no. Because your audience, your audience, they, we, this is what we came for. We knew we knew what this was. Stop it. This is massive implications for who will be in the Bundesliga next season, though, because that means that Greuther Foot have opened up a six point gap over Hamburg, who are playing tonight. We're recording this ahead of Hamburg's game in hand over the top two. It was funny, even Tony Kroos was tweeting, was, was tweeting about Hamburg's suffering. Hamburg. Yeah, uh, Holstein Kiel drew the other day, though, which was a little bit lucky for Hamburg, but they've still got two games in hand on Hamburg and they're only a point behind. So, oh, no. Hamburger yet again having a, a bit of a season where they could potentially miss out on promotion back to the Bundesliga for, what, the third year in a row? Third year in a row, and not just the third year in a row, but the third collapse in a row, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. Keep an eye on the Zweite Bundesliga because it is amazing. But let's go to Paris. Yes. This was a good game of football. It was a very good game of football. I watched it again straight after. It was really good, I It thought. was really good because I wanted to sort of unravel what had happened and see it again. And I saw new things and I watched it again. What um, did you see? What did you see, Musa? Tell me. Well, there was a lot of talk of PSG losing it and all the rest of it. But I think people have to understand the pressure that Manchester City apply, they make, they force errors in ways that are extremely subtle. It's, it's, it's demoralising what City did. PSG started well, I thought, really, really well. And there was a lot of talk, criticism of the performances of the key players. But actually, I think this is, this is a City victory rather than a PSG implosion. So City went 2-1 um, away from home. I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I'm, I would go more strongly for City win, actually. But I'll, I'll hear you out. I don't mind to, you know, sir. Well, I think that PSG played some amazing stuff in the first half. They, yeah. they probably could have gone two up. Paredes had that chance from the corner, which I think was probably a better chance than it looked. Yeah. City played, obviously City didn't, you know, were playing with not an out-and-out out nine again. But mm. this time around, I actually tweeted about it in the second half after the second City goal went in. Like centrally, like the, the back four on, on the whole, kind of, it looked like they've got, a bit used to not having anything or anyone to really pick up. Yeah. Like Marquinhos and Kimbembe didn't really have much to do. There was that one chance where, is it Paredes hit, had like a high foot clearance that they were kind of claiming for a penalty for. Yeah. But it didn't really feel like City caused them a huge amount of central problems. Does that make sense? Yeah. They yeah. had a couple of chances like where Bernardo went down the right hand side. He had that one at the back post that he hit with the outside of his left foot. Yeah. Foden had that one, which I actually think he should have hit first time. The one that he took a touch and then hit straight at. Caught straight, it really nice, but he hit it he straight should have at hit low. He should have hit low as well. Yeah. I think it was also the problem was, position, was the uh, direction of it. But it was all in front of PSG, really, on the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then City started to grow into the game a little bit more. And then the switch in the second half where I think Pep pushed, pushed like Foden and De Bruyne a lot higher up. That seemed to really rattle PSG and they just couldn't deal with it. I De Bruyne think. was arriving... Uh, Friday and were arriving late in the first half and the second mm. half they were just up there yeah I don't know I, th- I think weirdly enough I think the intensity of what City were doing wore PSG down mm. and the reason I say that so Baka I thought actually had a 
a pretty decent first half, but you saw already the seeds of the demise because they had real troubles. Um, PSG is long. The moment they were asked to do anything other than defend and actually build play from the back, they couldn't. And if you can't build from the back on the flanks, which they couldn't really do, you put astonishing pressure on the central areas. Mm. And that begins to tell because you're like, if City know that no creativity is going to come up the flanks, like the amount of times PSG tried playing out from the back and couldn't really do it, right? From down the flank, it didn't really work. And that was normally, we see in these big Champions League games, the outlet pass down the flank is essential. The fullbacks just aren't good enough, right? Mm. It's a quality issue. And there's no disrespect to back or it's a level. It's very, very difficult to play make from a fullback position. There's like very few fullbacks in the world that can do it to an elite level. So they had that struggle. So then City going to the second half knowing they're going to have to play through the middle. And then they, they, it gets so congested. In fact, I thought it was remarkable that PSG even threatened the goal in the second half. They had um, that amazing period from like 53 to 58 where Mbappe goes close twice. Mm. First with a brilliant cross across goal, Verratti just misses it. And then five minutes later goes through um, and the keeper's very quick, off, Edison's very quick off his line. Oh yeah, yeah. And it all changes. He, if, the, if either of those go in, it all changes, right? But basically Mbappe's left to forage by himself because his fullbacks aren't giving support. Now what that means is then City just flood the middle. And that thing they do, when City can flood the middle, what they then start is dangerous because they know the fullbacks aren't a danger from PSG. So they allow their fullbacks to go in field. And the beauty of that is it's win-win. If mm. your fullback creates something when they go in field, you've got an overload in the middle. They lose the ball. They can just scurry back to the flank because nothing's going to happen. So, so City basically take up, set up shop in the kind of middle and final third. And the two goals that come, or the two key moments of the game, the Adrissa Gay yellow, which gives the free kick for the first, and then Adrissa Gay red, which would have been a straight red. They both come from frustration. And it's mm. really interesting because almost the emblem of the game and PSG's frustration through Man City's constant possession is that moment when Adrissa Gay concedes the um, free kick for the yellow, which is frustration because they haven't had the ball for like two, three minutes. Mm. And then Paredes kicks it away. Mm. Like just, and there's like, that's an existential yellow. That is literally like, you haven't touched the ball. You haven't built anything for, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. I mean, we had a, we've, we're going to lace in some questions throughout, but one, we had one from Pipe Dog who said, do you think PSG's attitude towards the domestic league sets them up for the type of second half failures that we saw during the City game? It seems like whenever things go south for them in League One, they start fouling, acting erratically, maybe more of a sign of a team at a crossroads. And I think this is, this is a this has been a trait of them this season. It started with the Marseille game really on it really early on in the season, which was one of the spikiest games I've seen this season. Mm. And if you contrast that to Man City going a goal down, do you know what it's like actually? I think Man City, it was like this for this game, I thought. They're like a giant python that's been attacked by an alligator or a crocodile. So basically the crocodile's got it within its jaws. And yeah, the crocodile yeah, yeah. thinks it's one. Yeah, but it exactly. can't. It doesn't notice that the the python is actually slowly constricting around the rest of the, the crocodile's body. Exactly. And before Fire they know the it, the forest, they yeah. actually can't keep their jaw clenched around the neck of the python, kind of thing. It's exactly that. It's exactly that. Yeah. At first, they get the first bite in, and they think, "Ha ha, I got you." And actually, the python's just like, "This is fine." That was the first round. That was this calm. is totally fine. And even when the even when the goal went in, the first PSG goal, well, the PSG goal which I thought was un an, an amazing set-piece goal, by the way. The yeah, delivery yeah. was incredible from Di Maria. And Marquinhos came, <laughs> it just seemed to come from nowhere. They're the two players like, that always step up for PSG. Yeah, always. I mean, Marquinhos is brilliant. We've been a huge fan of Marquinhos for a long time. He's still only 26, which I think is wild it, because it feels like he's been around for 
He's unbelievable. Forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he came from so far, his room I thought was brilliant. It was like he started it in Versailles. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> he started so far away. Yeah. And this is one of those where I think is going to raise a debate about, it always does, whenever anyone scores a goal from a set piece where there's an, any element of zonal marking, people always go on about the zonal marking thing. But the thing is, even if someone had trapped him, there were enough bodies there that he would have, that they would have been blocked off anyway. Do you know what's funny? It's like basketball, you know, basketball is much more forgiving of football when it comes to this stuff. When basketball, when they concede, they say elite offense beats elite defense. Yeah. Here's the way, the thing. You know, he got yeah. a shot City, off, like City have an, the yeah. space. Yeah. yeah, City have an elite defense, right? But you have a world-class deliverer of the ball in Di Maria, one of the best at his peak on that. And then you have Marquinhos, who's, his movement is so good, he can play as a DM and a centre-back. Like, that guy is not a clown. When it comes to space, he is elite at understanding how to exploit it. And sometimes it's just a great goal. And that, I think, is City's strength, the understanding that you can kind of just play through the pain, mm. go a goal down, keep playing football. And they yep. kept playing football. And they never and panic. They, yeah, like, never. They did have a couple of moments in that first half where there were a couple of misplaced passes just outside their own box and you were a bit like, mm. Yeah, yeah, right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But it was, it was pretty fleeting. It was minimal. I want to talk about the winning goal because the analysis of that under zone was brilliant. So you see the ball go through the wall, past Kimpembe and past Navas, who's stranded and furious for the second time in the second half. And the analysis on Dazem was brilliant. They were like, it was the wall before the wall. City mm. set up those three people that yeah. just basically ducked. And I just wonder how much of the ball the PSG wall saw because all of a sudden they're like, it's, a bl it's the blink of an eye and it's there. So it looks worse than it is. It's not the greatest wall, but I think that confusion they sowed with that wall was, was kind of brilliant. I mean, it's not the kind of trick you can use many times because people would be wise to it but I thought was a really interesting little innovation. There's a lot going on with walls at the moment though. They're getting a bit tech. Yeah, they are, they are. Um, Poor Verratti was just like, really? I got down here for this? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Basically the ball go over his own shoulder. But also um, Verratti's quite yeah. little, so he doesn't cover the full width of a wall when he's laying down. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so Ver Verratti, Verratti was a funny one because his positioning as well, like he, I love Verratti as a 10 because I think he anchors the front line really well. Um, and I think it can work and I think it worked a reasonable degree, but then you just saw him like the amount of position and ground that he covered in the second half, he was dragged all over the place because like, mm. you're helping out. And the one thing that I, that was interesting that I didn't like from Neymar in the second half, because he had, I think quite a strong first half was the bit when he shouts at Baka, even though Baka, like he, he, he plays a pass to him that he can never possibly get because he's wrong footed. And then he screams at him and you know, that's. I know it's Neymar's own frustration, but that's like, that's not a good look. You know, you're meant to be carrying mm. a team and you've given him something to execute that is not possible to execute. Mm. Um, so it was a bit of a strange energy there just watching that, I think. We didn't even mention De Bruyne's goal, which I thought was, this is one of those like, if you want to show a young footballer how to deliver a ball. Oh my goodness. And this is something actually weirdly that um, we were always taught growing up playing football mm. you know if you're gonna cross a ball like that aim for the far post with a bounce so that yeah. if no one gets a touch on it it can sneak in and it's it's a really um great piece of advice i mean it is basically because you saw how they actually i think you mentioned the zone analysis like sandro wagner has been really great since he's been on the zone i think he's he's a really good i think he's a really good analyst 
they were talking about this goal as well. And it's just, it's perfect because you, there's the whole cliche about like the kind of corridor of uncertainty, but this is yes. a different thing. I think this is a, um, you know, in swinging from that kind of pocket, just on the inside of either channel. Horrible to deal with. Towards the far post, because, you know, Kayla Navas is an unbelievable goalkeeper. One of the world's best, I think. Yeah. Without doubt. Without doubt. And you could see how much trouble he had with that cross because there were a line of City players coming in waiting to attack that ball. So he's prepared for any slight touch, like John Stones was coming in at the back post. Yeah. You know, he's waiting or expecting an opposition player to get a touch on that and redirect it towards goal. And then by the time that that touch doesn't come, it's too late and it's what the one bounce kind of skips it off into the, into the far post. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a cross from De Bruyne, but it's a very, very deliberately placed one Deliberate for that very brutal. reason. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that was, I, th- I thought, you, was great in this game. If you think about it, you saw two set-piece goals that were brilliant. Yeah. Maybe the Mares one, I think the brilliance came more from, like you said, the kind of arrangement of that wall before the wall. I think if the PSG wall had been remotely adequate, then obviously that would have just hit one right, of them right. in the chest. Yeah, and should have done still. Yeah, it's still, it's still on them to an extent. I actually tweeted about this. I was just like, you know, if you're going to wall, then wall. But if you don't, if you ain't, then don't. Absolutely. And two-way goals for Manchester City. Hmm. And really impressive. Pep hasn't always liked away games in the Champions League knockout stages. He has not. And he has not. And he really enjoyed himself. He looked really, really happy. To be honest, he hasn't always liked home ones either. No, that's true. And there was something quite poignant about this game and it came in the form of a player that wasn't on the field, Raheem Sterling. Mm. Pep Guardiola and Raheem Sterling have, you know, a long and successful history working together. And to see Raheem Sterling on the bench was interesting and poignant and a bit sad because Raheem Sterling's had a tough time in the knockout stages. Disallowed goals, you know, frustrated with finishing against Lyon last year. And watching how Mares has leaped the queue, Mares has leaped over, has leapt over him and Leroy Sané and Pep's affections. And that's interesting. And then you've got Foden there too. Foden provides something a bit different, I think, to all of them. Foden provides elite ball retention, playmaking at, at that point. You know, he provides something different. And when Mares was there, I was like, is he going to be the first choice at some point? But he absolutely is now. Mm. Like in those go-to games, he's absolutely trusted. And I just wonder, without wanting to sound too dramatic, what the immediate way back is for Raheem Sterling in these games, like consistently. Because Mares goes either way, finishes beautifully, is a danger from set pieces, even when the wall is good. So yeah, it's almost like watching City evolve and you, you've watched them evolve, hopefully not beyond Raheem Sterling, but you've watched them evolve beyond a nine to an extent. There was a question actually that someone put in about how many goals the City score with a proper nine. Yeah, from at Jota Flowers, how many goals per game do City score with a proper nine? Yeah, and now I, don't, I think unless you have one of three elite nines in the world, I don't think you scored more than you scored last night. I really think that the false nine thing works that well for them because the fluidity of that system breaks people down. And, you know, City are evolving so fast that some players get caught out of step in that evolution. Mm. There's very few, other, very few other clubs in the world with a player like Sergio Aguero in the mix that don't use him. Yeah. I think, I think the thing is with the City trademark goal, working it to the kind of down the channels, to the line, cut back, that is as executed without an out and out nine as it is with a nine. 
Exactly. Just get people to crash the box. Yeah. That's it. Get them to arrive late. And a lot of elite teams like that, I think they can play without out-and-out lines if they need to. And it's the worry for... Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry, no, I was going to say, but I think this just that's, that's the joy of being an elite team, I suppose, is being adaptable. Yeah. If this is what happens in football, though. Um, a system becomes successful and it gets mm. tested to its limits and gets pushed almost to the point of absurdity. Mm. And then, so the nine threatens to be obsolete and then becomes relevant again because sometimes all that can break down a defence that sits you know, 10 in its final third mm. is a set piece and a tall player. Mm-hmm. You know, you have it in the NBA as well. You, you, oh, small ball, small ball is the way forward. But then suddenly you get a team that basically will just play physical and then need your big players, you need your bigs again to like just reset the, reset the balance. It's like summoning Godzilla out of the ocean. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take a couple of questions quick for, for, yep, yep. before we move on from the uh, PSG City game. Uh, yep. Drew Burr, shouts to Drew Reese. <laughs> Is it time to stack players on top of each other behind the wall to avoid what happened to PSG? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. Just putting them on top of each other like Lego. Yeah, great idea. Leah Watkins says, are we too willing to overanalyze walls with people lying down, jumping, not jumping, turning away, holding the balls? Can't we just accept that putting five big blokes there is enough credit the free kick takers the free kick takers get credit when they execute a really good free kick that goes in for example like when is it Bruno Fernandes went under the wall not not that long ago well, yeah. this, it was this season right was it last season this year saw one big blur I think Messi broke free kicks a yeah. lot especially in Spain because I um, can't remember the game it was but I remember one I was referenced where like someone ran back on the goal line. Yes, I know the one. I, like, the I, don't, I, don't really, I know the one, yeah. And then he goes in the top right. Again. Did he go in the top right? And then, no, to, I think he dropped back to go top. So it, it would have been Messi's top. Yeah, top right, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. he came back into the wall and then Messi put it in anyway. <laughs> I know the one. And then you just see their faces. Oh, the funniest like, you thing. You just can't defend it, like, sometimes. So, I know so, that so sounds I think, mean. So yeah, I think, sorry, yeah, sorry. I think, yeah, credit the free kick takers when they execute something that's amazing. I think in the case of this, the Mares one, the actual free kick itself wasn't that great. No, no, no. Like you said, the the little three in the city wall before the wall was the the thing that caused the chaos. Yeah, no, no, you're right. The messy breaking free kicks thing. Um, I've said this maybe before, but there are a few things I find funnier in football than just the still life. Mm. Immediately after Messi scored a free kick and the look at everyone's faces. And there's always one person with the expression like, don't blame me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you Usually know. Paul Lopez. Yeah, you knew what this was. Paul Lopez. <laughs> Sadly. Not again. Not again. <laughs> Mark Wallace shouts to Mark. He said, it's really cities to lose, isn't it? All right, see, this is interesting though, because I don't think this tie is done yet. No, no, no. Not with what PSG can do on the road. Yeah. Not with what PSG can do on the road. Not with what Mbappe showed us in that second half. No, absolutely not. But I mean, like, this is the thing, like Mbappe, I think it was the first time in the Champions League game he didn't have a shot in the whole game. But away from home, Pep would have really wanted another goal, I think. I know that sounds obvious, but I He think- would have, but I don't know where it would have come from. I, I feel like 2-1 was a good, I feel like it was a par result. He yeah, would have I mean, wanted another bit, one. I mean, yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah. what he does for the second leg, I think that's going to... Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But you know he's already losing sleep over it. So. Of course he is. Yeah, it's Pep. Yeah, I'm not sure though. Whatever happens in the second legs of the other tie, which we'll come on to in a minute. You know, we've seen very recently that Chelsea could beat C. So Yeah, I don't think I don't think uh, this is done by any stretch. No. Because also like the thing the thing that was really interesting about PSG's win over Bayern was Neymar making those infield runs, like cutting from slightly wide areas infield. And we didn't really see so much of that in the second half. Well, mm. really none of it. And that is what creates the chaos that basically allows Mbappe to feed off the, you know, 
whatever's left. And if Neymar can make those runs at the guts of City, they might get some joy in the second leg. So we'll uh, see. One final thing on this, Idrissa Gay's red, definitely red, wasn't that it? That was it. Hey, that tackle was... Not they were, nice. well, They call it in... Um, they called it abscheulich, hideous, disgusting. They were mm. like, that was really, I'd never heard. The German commentators are funny because they're much more opinionated. Like one of them was like, yeah, Rodri's the best six in the world. I'm like, you never, you never hear that. You, in England. I, yeah, you got, I mean, the, yeah, the guys on design are pretty good, I think. I love it. Like in England, you hear English commentators going, English players are the best in the world. You hear that, but that's almost more like a, like a partisan, you know, patriotic. But they're like, just, they say it like they're talking to you in the bar. Mm. Like, but yeah, the, the tackle by Idrissa Gay, he knew, he knew, and the Gundogan, you know, we, we talked about this in the chat, him in WhatsApp, like, I watched Gundogan on the ground, and I was like, please no, like with all the injury problems yeah, he's had, right. he doesn't, he doesn't deserve this. No. Like, no one deserves it, but he least of all. It's a lot of a uh, cop for lawn chat on the, the zone. What about PSG? They've lost their heads. They've lost their heads. He was great with, um, yeah, and he was great, Gunduan, in just spreading the play mm. and just keeping that pressure on. Very, actually, very much like Fabregas, to be honest. And it was funny, when those goals went in, when both those goals went in, I thought to myself, these are like Fabregas goals. You know, those ones that like Arsenal would, Arsenal would score them and Fabregas wouldn't get the assist, but the pressure he'd applied by switching the play and just keeping the heat on, it was all him. Why do you have like, to do this to me? Do what? Just make me think about Cesc playing for Arsenal. <laughs> Oh no. I'm going to go to a break and cry. <laughs> See you in a minute. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. All right, let's go to Madrid. It was raining again. <laughs> um, it was bucketing. <laughs> what is it going on at the moment? Is there, game... mi- is there a microclimate over that stadium? Maybe they're just, it, maybe they're just doing it for the documentary. You know, Do you know what? I've got, friends, I'm gonna text, I've got friends around there. I should actually text someone and say, listen, is it actually raining in any other part of Madrid? Is it just that? Because it just feels like, yeah. what did Mourinho call it? There's a microclimate. For some reason, because we saw it in the, in the Classico. Oh my God, that was, that was biblical, the rain in the Classico. It compared to that, this was a, that, was a, that was a puddle compared to this. Yeah. yeah, it was raining last week for the Betis game. It's always raining in Madrid. And they had like one of the, was it their worst snowstorm in year, in like decades this year as well. So. Goodness. Mm, it's almost like there's some climate change potentially going on. I mean, yeah, I mean yes. I mean, who are we on standing to speculate, but yes. Mm. Mm. All the mm. precipitation, yes. Okay, this game. Okay, this game. Real Madrid won, Chelsea won. Handy away goal for Chelsea. Hey, but Chelsea, listen. Chelsea missed a serious trick here. They missed a serious trick. This should have been 2-0. Should have been 2-0 at least. At least. They could have been out of sight, huh? They should have been out of sight. The way they began, played on the front foot and then it got wet and it got quicker. And they were already started with speed. 
And they already basically sussed out that, you know, Kroos and Modric were not going to make line-breaking runs. They knew that. So they knew that was a, to an extent, Real were prone. And, you know, Real playing on the break with pace, it's one thing when you're doing against a back line, it's a bit less accomplished. But this Chelsea back line knows what it's doing. Mm. Um, and it's enterprising. You know, you've got like Antonio Rudiger is more enterprising than most midfielders in terms of how he steps forward. He's ace. Yeah, and I thought that Chelsea with better finishing, mm. this tie is, is not done because it's Real Madrid, it's never done. But it is, decisive things have happened. Yeah, the Werner miss was obviously a big one that people were talking about because they always do when Werner misses a chance. But I actually think Courtois did really well. He did, it was both, it was both. It was both. Um, I mean, you see, I mean, Werner should still be finishing up. We know this, but also... I just think someone puts, I just think someone puts it high. I think you know, it's one of those ones yeah. where it's, it, it, all I would say about that was... It's a little bit timid. I, th- I think you just, it's just a directional thing. If he puts it high when it comes across, because again, everything else is there with Werner, isn't it? I mean, but the problem is now it's like he's had a tough time of it with, you know, North Macedonia and like all the rest of it. And they've cost the misses of, you know, unfortunately, if you're playing at an elite level, the misses will cost the team. And that's, you know, he got the great assist against them, which this is the thing, this could be important. But in terms of a plot line, if Chelsea do make it through, and they still can, and actually I think they still should. Oh, I think they'll make it through. Right. Now that matchup is quite favourable against the City. I think City rather face Real in a final if they get through than Chelsea. Yeah, I agree. I think both PSG and City would, would rather play Real Madrid than play Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea's because, ball movement, again. Because I, I actually think the one all flattered Real Madrid. Yeah. Benzema's goal was great. He did have another chance. Oh, the one off the post, yeah, the beautiful one off the yeah, post. Yeah, there was the Varane header, which maybe he could have done a little bit better with, but I don't think it was a glaringly obvious chance. But yeah, shout out to Mason Mount as well. Superb. Well, yeah, I mean they're just they're just playing well. Like Tuchel has got them playing amazingly well. Going back to Stamford Bridge with the away goal, that's all you you know. That's all you kind of really need in this in a in a semi-final. I still back them to do it. I still back them to do it, to be honest. They are the better team, but in, in my opinion. And I always felt like... Than Real Madrid? Yeah. The, yeah, the I challenge agree. I always... Yeah. The challenge I think that um, we saw it in the Women's Champions League with Lyon. The problem is when, when teams play the idea of Madrid or the idea of Lyon rather than the actual team. And I'm not saying that Chelsea did that. I don't think Chelsea basically had nerves. I think it was just a finishing thing. You look at like Pulisic and his finish, for example, he basically walks the ball into the goal. That is as calm a finish you will see at this stage of a knockout competition mm. where he basically has, there's an option maybe to pass to Werner, but he's like, no, I'm just going to walk this in. Mm. Um, I just think Chelsea need to iron out it's that final third issue. But Tuchel will again, he's like Pep, he'll have been losing sleep over this already. Mm. Um, so yeah, really nicely set up for the second leg. And, and Madrid didn't offer really anything other than that goal. Man, it's so obvious, but they miss Ramos so much. Is this, was this like, it's, it's like one of those where, was it like a weird record that they've, all of the, the, they're not, the games that they've been knocked out or the ties have been knocked out in the Champions League recently has been when he's not been there or something? Right, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is he going to be back for the second leg? I think he's back for that. But Marcelo isn't because he's on no. polling duty, which is one of the most random. It's, it's random. It's not the wildest loss. But the problem is in the absence of Mendy as well. Mendy and Marcelo gone. I mean, Madrid have just been threadbare. And I, I said this is, before as this well. Is, I mean, this is a pretty big loss if you think about it. The guy captained them yeah, yeah, yeah. on Tuesday. Yeah. It was such a random reason. To, you would have thought that they would have given him an exemption for that. Surely. You know, I think though, the beauty of democracy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 
Joss Hedge 93 said, what is your favourite slash best case scenario for a first leg score? Home win with an away goal? 1-1 draw? Honestly, 3-0. 3-0 for the away team. 3-0 for the home team and just play the kids in the second leg. <laughs> oh, I mean, as a neutral watching the game, like what's your favourite? Like, I quite like both of these score lines. I think a, a, a one goal yeah. difference, but with an away goal. I mean, if you're going to have the away goals rule, you might as well have it have an away goal to make it interesting. I like two one to the home team. Two one to the home team's good. That's my favorite. Yeah. yeah, that's my favorite one for the first leg. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. The problem with nil nil is if it comes a straight shootout, and I don't like that. Mm. I want everyone to have a little bit more skin in the game. But do and I want the uncertainty of like, do I sit back? Do I go forward? Nil nil. You just have to like. But 2-1, it's like you're caught between, do we go for the, because for both teams in a way, the next goal can be the killer goal. Mm. I had this question from Citroen 1. How do you prepare to counter Zidane's dark magic? The semi-final is already, frankly, an overachievement for this Real Madrid side based on injuries and lack of signings. Against most teams, it's just play better. And yeah, I could see Real Madrid somehow winning a final despite being the worst team left in the competition. Learn behaviour, I think. The scary thing about Madrid is, in the most interesting games they've been involved in this season, they've been the least interesting team. Mm. You wrote, didn't you write a piece about that? Yeah, they're like the house, they're like the house that always wins. Yeah. Like everyone goes to Las Vegas and has a lovely time. And then like at the end, the casino collects. And how do you counter Real? I think you target their legends. Not Ramos. I think Ramos is kind of, immer- I think you target Tony Cruz first and then Modric. I think movement, movement around that midfield. Yeah, I think that's the one. I think you target them with the, yeah. yeah. I think this is the thing that, because do you remember when, was it Tuckle's first game, I was referenced this game away at Wolves and it was nil-nil and everyone was just like, mm, is he that good? And I was just like, the ball movement was God. unbelievable. Like yeah, completely yeah. mesmerising. Mm. That Real Madrid midfield isn't rapid, isn't particularly no. mobile and isn't particularly young really. I mean, you've got Casemiro no. in there when he's fit, but like Modric and Kroos, hardly young whippersnappers. If you pass them to death around that midfield and actually target Varane. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to go down the middle. They don't like not having their way, Real Madrid. And no team does, but I think that Real Madrid specifically because they, they're Real Madrid. I think Chelsea will have too much for them in the second leg. And I think at home, you'll probably see them pass them to death. You know what it is? For me, the game is it's the Leeds-Man City game, the one-all at uh, Ellen Road. They need to be as disrespectful yeah. to Real as Leeds were to Man City. That bit where I always talk about this when, when De Bruyne had the ball stolen when he's about to play the through ball, you need to have that level of disrespect. Yeah. I, do you know what? I wouldn't, I don't think Tuchel will do it, but it's got Olivier Giroud. It's got nil-nil till, or maybe it's got like, hmm, let me think. I'm trying to think. I wonder if he uses Giroud, to be honest. In the it's next got, what, do you know what? It's got one all, 85th minute, Giroud coming on, scoring the winner. Energy. Because I think, I think he likes, I think he likes the fluidity of the front three. I think he likes that so much and what it gives you. Mm. And I, I still think, weird enough, that is, I still think that is, maybe the best configuration of three of the front three for chance creation because you've got Mount pressing high and completing all those passes in the final third. Mm. Fairness movement is still still great. Um, although there was a slightly worrying thing I did see where Werner made a couple of runs after he missed his chance and the release didn't come. And I just wonder if there was an element of like subconsciously we can do this ourselves when we mm. go alone. And there was a couple of times and he made really good runs to the flanks and he wasn't releasing to space. Um, these are small margins, and I'm sure Chelsea will sort it out. But yeah, back to go through. I agree. Let's very quickly talk about 
the Women's Super League. Arsenal beat yeah. West Ham on Wednesday two night. Nil, yeah. Two goals. Uh, one from Viv Miedemar. Angry goal? I think this was an angry goal. Mm. And uh, Kim Little scoring with 12 minutes to go. That was the, the, the games in hand played in the Super League this week, which means Arsenal are now comfortably in third place back like in a Champions League spot. They've got three. One me, I will say, yeah. Carry on, sorry. No, sorry. Three points ahead of Manchester United with a far superior goal difference. Mm. Two games to play in the Super League. Everton got a chance maybe to be decisive. I mean, still though. Yeah, I mean, this is tricky because Arsenal have Everton away next, I think. And yes. United have them as well. And then United have them at home on the last day of the season. So Everton could be very much the minds of the Women's Super League. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Having a big say in who goes through to the Champions League this season. The other game in the Super League was Birmingham City and Villa. They drew one all. Um, should we talk Bundesliga quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. Before we get out of here. Yeah. Well, actually, before we move on, let's have this one question from Emily Oram, who said, what would your outfit be if you were managing your team in the Champions League final, assuming you were allowed to detour for the regulation branded suit? I actually retweeted this with a picture of the dude from the Big Lebowski just sat there in the bowling alley. It's my, it's my stock go-to when, everyone's, when anyone says, what's your manager outfit? It's just the dude. Wow. Um, I think I'd, be, I'd probably go actually quite Wenger, to be honest, with the um, suit. We've had this, we've done this question though, but not for a final. Because you came out with an absolute scorcher when you said you'd be a Manchester United manager, but wear a yellow tie. I'd wear a red tie this time, but what I'd do is I'd have a crane at the very bottom because I'd, be, I'd probably be the first British Ugandan manager in a Champions League final. I think that's a safe bet, yeah. So hidden at the bottom of the tie, there'd be like the crested crane, which is the kind of the national, the national bird. I like that. So that's what I'd have, yeah. So regular tie and everything, red tie, but then at the bottom, like a crested crane that no one could see. If I was going to the Champions League final, on a serious note, I think I would go pretty smart. Yeah. I think I'd go suit. I think it needs that, doesn't it? It, do, it does need that. I'd go suit with a, or maybe suit, but no tie. And maybe with a, no, because it's going to be warm, isn't it? Because it's May. <laughs> Quite balmy. And it's in Istanbul, so it's going to be really warm. Say, say if we were managing this year. Mm. No, actually, I'd go suit and tie. Top button undone. Mm. Shirt sleeves rolled up. I like that because it's just watching, I know we'll be very quick on this, but just watching the, those four classicos, I've been watching them again, obviously, recently, and seeing Pep looks like the absolute oh business in God. the suit. Pep looks, looks, this is incredible. You see that and you're like, you could be surrounded by 100,000 hostile fans and you look at that manager and go, we're good here. That's worth 100,000 people like screaming at us. That guy knows exactly what he's doing. Like I said in that sartorial piece back in like suits that, that were so tight fitting, but seemingly had room to spare. Exactly. Yes. Perfectly put. Perfectly put. Where you look at the suit and you're like, that person knows exactly what they're doing. I mean, it helps that there's not an ounce of body fat on you. you That's true as well. That's true. More. That's true. Uh, before I forget, talking of incredible touchline presences, I didn't mention this in the last podcast, I want to mention it quickly. One of the amazing things about having no fans in the ground is you can hear Emma Hayes' instructions. Uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. I know this is just, it's, I know I should have said this earlier in the podcast and I'll be very quick. That was mind blowing. Just hearing her tactical instructions and what she was in, in, encouraged to do, press here, type there, avoid transitions, that transition, stop that, stop that. Like none of these, none of... Oh you also heard God. her turning around, exasperated at the, the intensity of the game and, and how horrible it was in the second half, which I thought was incredible. I, I loved that. Like this is the thing, I don't, you know, obviously like fans back in the stadiums, absolutely. The one thing I will just miss a little bit is just hearing 
the quality of the technical instructions and just the emotion from the coaches on the sideline. Uh, so. As fun as it has been, I will not miss it one bit, actually. I know what you mean. Like, it isn't, it is a, the best of this bad situation, but yeah, I'm just, there's like, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to hear Pep going, Bernardo, Bernardo, one more time. I don't want to twice, hear it. Twice, twice. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. All right, before we get out of here, Bundesliga. So, Julian Nagelsmann has been confirmed as the new Bayern Munich coach from the start of next season on a five-year contract, which is quite incredible, and a transfer mm. fee of 25 million euros. It's a lot of faith, isn't it? Paid to Rasenball Sport Leipzig. The Bavarian returns to Bavaria. I think he's a Bayern fan, isn't he? He was a Bayern fan growing up. Played for 1860 through their youth academy. Makes a lot of sense. But also, as was widely speculated, Jesse Marsh has now been confirmed as the coach of RB Leipzig, moving from Salzburg. I think the first manager to make that transition. And he's been within that ecosystem. Yeah, but I mean, he's, he's now managed New York Red Bulls. He's managed RB Salz, uh, Red Bull Salzburg and he was assistant to Ralph Rangnick for a year at Leipzig. So he is in the family. There was a lot of to and fro on this, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. I mean, Oli Glasner looks like he's set to leave Wolfsburg, which we've kind of talked about for a little while now. And it looked like he was going. So this wasn't a cut and dried thing for Marsh. And it's not something that Leipzig usually do. Now, obviously... We assume that whenever we talk about the Red Bull teams, that people know the relationship there and that having this kind of football ecosystem owned by a drinks brand allowing to move the pieces. I think 18, 18 transfers have taken place from RB Leip- uh, Red Bull Salzburg to RB Leipzig. Wow, 18. We, we assume that people know that there's a problematic nature to the setup. And we don't want to have to caveat that every time we talk about it. Personally, with the Jesse Marsh thing, I'm really intrigued to see how this is going to go. I wrote a little bit of a thread about it, actually. There were a lot of noises about, well, coming out of the club that RB Leipzig, want to, they really want to attack Bayern next year and they really want to go for the Bundesliga. That is their goal. They were close this year. They're not going to win it. They were Herbstmeister last season and they didn't win it. But they've been pushing Bayern close for two years now. They've been their closest competitor for the last two seasons. I'm not 100% sure whether that appointment makes sense for that kind of push. I think Jesse Marsh is an incredibly talented coach and he's done a really great job at the places he's been. There is a lot of hype around him and he might do a really good job at Leipzig. How much money are they going to spend? Because I'm not being funny. The Nagelsmann factor, Nagelsmann is astonishing. Leipzig don't have the second best squad in the Bundesliga. They don't, actually. You could argue they don't have the fifth best squad, actually. You could argue fourth or fifth. I think think they're top four in terms of squad. So you put Gladbach, Dortmund above them in terms of squad, I would say. I would put Gladbach and Dortmund above Leipzig. I would put, yeah, actually, yeah. So I put, I put, Bayern have got the best squad in my opinion, followed by Dortmund, followed by Gladbach. Yeah, I put Leipzig fourth. What Gladbach's pieces are. I think Gladbach's attacking pieces are elite. I think that's a coaching thing. Um, maybe. And I love Rosa, but, but I just think, yeah, so Leipzig, I would say, like maybe fourth best squad, definitely in relation to depth. And Nagelsmann got that extra out of that attack. Like N- Nagelsmann never, Nagelsmann didn't have the kind of pieces that he's going to be working with in Bayern are of a different level, right? And I worry that Marsh. <sighs> When, when, when Nagelsmann went to Leipzig, he had to add basically like 20 goals from somewhere. 
he got like a play or two in, but he had to add goals from like, and I just think to galvanize that Leipzig front line without major additions is very, very difficult, especially when you've got Rosa going to Dortmund and Gladbach having fresh blood at the top as well. Mm. I think it's a big ask actually for Leipzig. And I don't, I like Marsh and I think Leipzig will be, you know, they should be top four thereabouts, but they've got to spend a lot of money, Ryan. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him as well. And that's the thing that I, I yeah. my personal preference for Jesse Marsh would have been for him to go to another Bundesliga side, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have, I would have, I would have loved to have seen him at somewhere like Bayer Leverkusen actually, or yeah, I, perfect, I think Bayer Leverkusen perfect. or Wolfsburg, maybe Wolfsburg or Eintracht actually were my two, two preferences, maybe with like Bayer Leverkusen as a third preference, because I think there are slightly different goalposts for those jobs. Leipzig won a mountain title push now, and that's a hard thing to do in a new league. And yeah, he's been an assistant there, and I know that, but I just, I don't know. You know, you know it's like, I want him to succeed on a personal point of view. I think it's quite yeah. problematic if, if a Red Bull succeed on a sporting point of view. I think, I think, yeah, I think, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a very complicated mixture of emotions for Jesse Marsh because he's a, he seems like a really good guy. Clearly a very talented coach. I think there would have been less scrutiny on him if he'd gone elsewhere, actually. I think, I think he like, likes, yeah. I mean, he's put himself in, in, in like front and centre in terms of like getting scrutiny. Yeah, he has, he has. But saying that, all of the top six are going to have manager, new managers next season. And like I said in that thread, I don't think Nagelsmann to Bayern is as smooth as people may think it might be because I, th- I think Bayern might get a little bit worse before they get better again under Nagelsmann. Put it that way, because this, this isn't a squad that is massively wild on new ideas. And we saw that with Niko Kovac, who was a different thing. And Niko Kovac's football wasn't really suited to the squad. But there, were, there was a point. I mean, he did still do the double in the first season. Yeah, yeah he was trying different things and it didn't, it really didn't go down that well with, um, yeah, yeah. With this buying squad. Nagelsmann is going to demand a hell of a lot from a load of players who have won a hell of a lot more than he has. And that is where it gets tricky. When you, when you go into a club that is expected to succeed as opposed to a club that is expecting progress, which is Nagelsmann so far has only been at clubs that have wanted progress. Leipzig aren't going to fire you if you don't win the league. Bayern will. But maybe the length of the contract is a sign that the fact that Bayern know it will be bumpy. If they do, then this is interesting because yeah. they haven't seemed like a particularly patient bunch recently, Bayern. And Salah Hamazic, Oli Kahn, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, those three dudes are colossal egos at a football club that makes a lot of noise right. anyway. I don't think Nagelsmann will take any shit there. And I think he backs himself enough to know that he's got a five-year contract as well. If they want to fire him at any point, he's going to be fine financially. But that five years, are they saying, are they saying with that five years, are they saying that Nagelsmann is the future and actually he's as important to them as an elite signing on the field? Well, I think it is because if you look at the, make, if you look at the kind of breakdown of the age thing within this Bayern squad, there's going to be a lot of turnover soon. Right. David Alaba's gone at the end of the season. Boateng's going to go as well. Lewandowski isn't getting younger. Manuel Neuer's not getting younger. They've got Alexander Nubel waiting to become the number one, which I, I don't, I think, I actually think Bayern need a better number one because Nubel's form in his last season at Schalke kind of fell off a cliff. There's a traumatic place to go from, from there to Bayern. There's quite a lot of work to do actually at Bayern, look going forward. Right. And this is what, this is why I think in a way that Bayern are prepared for a bumpy transition. Yeah, but this, going back to what my rambling thing was, actually yeah. this might play into Marsh's advantage time to strike yeah 
because if you you're not going up against Hansi Flick or you're not going up against a um, like a Heinkus, yeah, someone Whatever. who knows who is basically like going to put everything back in its right place and let them yeah. go. You walk in the lobby at Bayern, there's piano music playing, and it's not like that. It's going to be yeah. like there's going to be a lot of unrest, and you're going to have a lot. Of, yeah. There are a lot of there are more unknown factors in the Bundesliga next season for the top six than there's been in as long as I can remember. That's and, true, and yeah, especially yeah, yeah. since definitely not since Bayern's uh, run began. So you've got. Rosa at Dortmund, you've got Nagelsmann at Bayern, Marsh at Leipzig, Adi Hutter, Hutter. Gladbach, yeah. and then you will have new managers at Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt and probably by Leverkusen as well. So... And those are all good squads. Those are all good squads. I know a lot of people say this every year with the Bundesliga. I think it is possible to say that Nagelsmann is one of the best potential managers in the world. He's definitely one of the best coaches in the world. Yeah. But also say that that doesn't necessarily mean that Bayern are going to win a treble next year or even necessarily the league. And I wrapped up the thread with my, like after my con- slight concerns about the kind of, the fit, the fit. for Marsh, um, the potential situation, but basically just saying, we could be here in a year's time after Marsh picks up the league and Bayern have just won a Champions League and everyone's just like, yeah, cool thread, right? Personally, I'm not calling it either way, but what I am saying is that it is making stuff super, super interesting for next season. Very much so. And I'm glad you said that. You know, I just want to say quickly on Marsh as well. I've said about backing in the transfer market, they've lost a Pamecano to Bayern. Funny enough, I think they can absorb the loss of a Pamecano, actually. I think they can absorb that loss as long as they don't lose any more from the defence. And I, I think a couple more players in, in this midfield and attack. But I, yeah, Marsh at Leverkusen would have been great because I almost, I feel like he could have elevated what, Peter Bosch was doing on a more consistent level. And I feel like actually that, I feel like the Leverkusen squad has the tools to do more than it did this year. I think, I think that's a squad that's a bit of a sleeping giant, to be honest. Also though, for any American listeners, don't forget you've already got an American in the league. Pellegrino Matarazzo. Done an amazing job. One of the success stories for Stuttgart this season. Honestly, I was thinking about doing a piece towards the end of the season about other success stories in the Bundesliga. And he was the first person on my list. I've been meaning to write about him for ages. I might actually write about him and Marsh this week or next week because he's done an unbelievable job and two American managers in the Bundesliga next season. And I think also playing football, that is thrilling. Man, Stuttgart are fun. Do they? Yeah, they are. But will they hang on to some of those players? Will they hang on to Mislintat? Yeah, and it's this is Silas Wamangatuka, unbelievable player for yeah, um, that injury. He, he would fit a club like Gladbach perfectly. Like there's, there's actually also, but also beyond Germany, like wide forwards like that. Like I just think he's one to he's one to invest in. Mm. The way that like Pep invested in Gundogan, even with the injury, he's a player just worth buying and then just rehabbing. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where Glasner goes. Um. Yeah, there's, uh, was it Derek Ray talking about maybe him going back to Salzburg? They've promoted from within, though. Uh, they've promoted the assistant. See, see, I feel like Glasner like, has done a superb job at Wolfsburg. And I don't know. I think, I think there's... Um, I mean, to put it into perspective, they've quali- they're, quali- they're about to qualify for the Champions League for the third time in their history. And that was a team that was really struggling to score goals when he arrived and struggled actually about a year after. He's really got everything out of that squad. I wonder, I think, he, I think he's due like a really, really good job after this, but where would it be? I don't know. I'm trying to think. 
Because the Leipzig job for him kind of made sense. It, was, it would have been ideal. I wonder if he goes to Eintracht. When fans come back next season, Eintracht is a fucking great club to be at. I think that's a great move, actually, Eintracht. I think in, in sideways in terms of... What, positioning? I mean, they're, well, they're not really, yeah. not really sideways. They're, I mean, they're, they're like but a point it, ahead. Yeah, do, do you know, yeah well, I, I, know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think it's a, actually an incredible move because I think he'd be given more tools there in attack. Eintracht is such an interesting project for someone now. I think they're, yeah. They're eternally interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a club that is waiting to be turbocharged, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a sleeping giant, I think. One brilliant, yeah, one brilliant manager. One brilliant manager and it changes everything. Uh, we should wrap. Let's do it. Have we, have we forgotten something? Probably. There's always more football there, isn't there? Oh, I know what I meant to say. Oh my goodness. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. One day we're going to walk off the podcast. I'll just walk off. Yeah. Hope everyone's still staying safe and well. Don't forget you can check theringer.com forward slash soccer. You can check our outros playlist on Spotify. Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. We're playing out on Vanacos. I hate disco, not the dance. I don't hate disco though, so I don't approve of this title. But you approve of the groove, though. I do approve of the groove. There we go. Look at this guy. It's almost like he's almost like he's a poet. Listen, still got it. Still got it. Still got it. Any books? Any books out this week? Not this week. No. No. Taking a week off. <laughs> as many hooks as he has books. In the end, it was all about groove. Exactly. Do you want to add anything? No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Lovely. Yeah, I'm oh, good. This is great. This is going smoothly. I love this. Serve my piece. Nice tight edit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much love, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday. See you then.
against it.